Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Hey, friends. Uh, let me talk about this podcast today. It is with our old buddy, Paul Nevison, and uh, our new friend, Ben Field. And uh, there's a little audio issue, uh, which is, you know, surprising since Ben and Paul recorded this on their end. And, you know, they're like professional like technology people who should know better. Not that I'm throwing shade their direction. I'm just saying that yet again, the American had to make this podcast great again by doing a good bit of cleaning up to make sure there's not too much of an echo on there. But um, anyway, hope you don't get distracted. This is a great story that they're telling and uh, you're going to enjoy it. So here we go. Friends, welcome back to the show. Today we have... My new friend, Ben Fields, and my old friend, Paul Nevison on. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Hello. Hello. Hey, Luke. You know, speaking, you. Of all, speaking of my old friend, uh, Paul's my old friend, but so else is Podbean. Podbean. My old friend. They're an all-in-one... Podbean. 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 Yeah. Po- not Paul Bean. Podbean. No. It's Pod all in... What? Pod, Paul, you're killing me to do this advertisement, Okay. Podbean, the all-in-one podcast hosting and publishing network. If you've ever thought about starting a podcast like this one, or you have content from your church or from your organization that you want to get out to the masses, Podbean, they'll take care of you. They've been my friend for many years, helping with this podcast and other podcasts that I've done for my church, and they will do great by you as well. So for more information, go to podbean.com backslash newsworthy. And back to Paul Bean now. Paul? <laughs> Podbean. Yes, good. You like that? Paul Bean. I think it's a better name. Hey, can you set the camera back up so I can actually see your face right now? Because I feel really weird just staring at this. There we go. Okay, friends. Okay, uh, Ben, welcome. Um, hey, Luke. You're, you're former. Are you with Hillsong still, or were you a former Hillsong guy? Yeah, no, I'm still with Hillsong, so I oversee the Hillsong channel. Uh, which is oh, the Hillsong last year, yeah, to um, a new broadcast channel, which is in 165 million homes around the world, uh, which is pretty exciting. So I'm head of content for that, creating everything from stories to other programs to feed the world with their faith-based television goodness. Yeah, well, that's, that's pretty cool. Now, um, And just started a new Paul, podcast, actually. Yeah, so I did so watch, out, watch out, Luke. He's I'd, coming for you. I'd like to start. You started I'd a like podcast? What's your, podcast? What's your podcast called? Well, I'd actually like to start this podcast by bringing in my advertiser, <laughs> um, <laughs> Beef Jerky, funnily enough, because I'm here in the States. But no, I'm just joking. Yeah. Well, congratulations on starting a podcast. Um, now, Paul has introduced me to at least one of his friends before and had them on the podcast, our, our mutual friend, Jolie, as you all call him down under. Jolie. And when Paul introduced me to him, he warned him by simply saying that uh, I tell a lot of jokes and I read a lot of books. I think those are the two things that you said. Or you just said I was a smart act, just one of those things. Yeah, ben, probably. what did... Wh- what did Paul tell you about me before you got on this podcast? <laughs> um, he said, hey, uh, are we cool to do this podcast with my friend Luke? And I said, yeah, of course. Uh, and to be honest, we actually were laughing about this because we're on the way back from the shops. And I had confused the cross lines with my podcast. Paul was 
I thought Paul was trying to invite himself on my podcast show, not line up the fact that <laughs> we're that, doing that's, a podcast. That's what I would do, of course. Because that's just totally Paul's <laughs> ambition in life, always. Yeah, that, that that is very Paul. I mean, he just uh, he's just shown up on location when I've been doing podcasts before and just snuck in. Oh. So that that doesn't surprise yeah, well, me at he, all. He, he turns up on you. movie sets here in Hollywood and asks to see the script and what he could do better with it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm here That's, to help. I'm here to serve. That's all I'm saying. You're really a giver like that. You're just there for for, for service for others. That's right. This is the biblical mandate. Yeah. Okay. So the podcast we're going to do now is. If I, when you were on a year or two ago, Paul, we, I think we tried to mention this and you're like, no, we can't talk about it yet. And now we finally can talk about what I tried to talk about before. And, uh, yeah. So it's the movie, like the feature, or as you call it, the feature. I'm working on a feature. <laughs> yeah. Very good impersonation of Paul. Well done. Well done. You think so? <laughs> yeah. Not bad. Okay. Okay, um, now here's a weird thing. We're going to talk about a movie that y- y'all are working on that doesn't come out for 18, two years, something like that? It'll be... Three years, four years? Probably out in 2019. That's the way films okay. work. So we're two years away, but it's based on a true story. And I personally have this like connection to story in such a way that I don't think you should ever know how a story ends. Like I have a friend from my church who she will read the very end of a fictional novel just to hear how it goes and then go back and read it from, from the start. I think she might be a a serial killer. I think that's so unhealthy and (laughs) I'm her daughter's our receptionist. So if something happens to me, you know who to look at, but I I guess this is a story that's extremely well-known down under and so I guess let's just start by talking about the story and because I assume a lot of American people have never heard the story before. Well, yeah, I think when you ask most Americans, um, they're not familiar with the story because it didn't happen on home soil. And we all know that Americans love American stories. But um, it actually was uh, for a period of time, New York Times uh, were writing articles about it. Um, and then also through the British press and the Australian press, it picked up a lot of buzz as well, uh, which was part of the factor, apart from the amazing story that Paul and I actually wanted to gravitate towards it because uh, this one Chinese-Australian um, life um, in Indonesia was having such a profound impact through the media um, at the time leading up to his execution when so many more people were trying to take his side and trying to plead for the government for you clemency. You gave it away, Ben. You gave it away. Oh, that's the end. You gave it that's away. That's the end of the... So just like you said, we're going to start with the end and let's go back to the <laughs> to beginning. To the beginning. How did we get yeah, to that? Donna, my friend Donna's going to love this, but uh, the rest of us are going to be... One viewership okay, so on this, this podcast. Is a... Thank you, Donna. <laughs> <laughs> the, okay, this is a story that's uh, a big deal. The story that... I'm, you have a, two guys who went from... Are they New Zealand or Australia? Well, let's let's yeah, let's uh, so let's start at the beginning. So now we know the end. Let's start at the beginning. So, uh, two thousand and th- was it? No, no, they actually anyway, early two thousands. Um, the there were nine Australians who were caught in in Bali in Indonesia smuggling eight kilograms of heroin. Um, they were caught red-handed. Um, they had, you know, been surveilled by the Australian police and the Indonesians, 
and were completely busted and, and uh, you know, obviously they'd done a terrible crime. Um, they were idiots. They were young. Um, the guy who, who our story is mainly, mostly focusing on is a guy called Andrew Chan who had connections to, um, you know, some bad, very bad people in, in Australia and had organised this uh, drug run. So they get caught, um, they go through the sort of the legal process and they think they're going to get, you know, some time in jail and they're arrogant and they're stupid and they think, oh, well, we'll do some jail time and it'll all be good. But it all starts to go south for them as they head into the legal process and they actually all end up, uh, well, the two of them end up with the death penalty. In Indonesia, that means death by firing squad. So it's not a particularly pleasant way to go. Um, so... They obviously had hit, hit the end um, and, you know, weren't expecting that kind of a sentence. Uh, and then Andrew, over time, um, obviously he's, he's, he's hit, the, hit the bottom and, and doesn't really know what else to do. Um, but growing up, he'd, he'd grown up in a sort of immigrant Chinese family and he'd had, so there was some uh, family that were near uh, to in his street uh, who are a Salvation Army family and so he'd always had this sort of connection with them and growing up in their house basically because his parents ran a Chinese restaurant and they were working all the time um, so he had this kind of introduction to uh, Christianity from an early age and so when he hits prison and um, starts to sort of think about his life he um, gets in contact so actually the first people that come to see him are, are his older brother and this family friend from the Salvation Army. And um, they just begin to, to talk to him, and Andrew kind of has moments of self-reflection and starts this journey of, well, what is my life for? What have I done? Um, and so our story really is what happened over this 10 years of incarceration, where basically what he did um, with another guy, uh, they basically changed uh, a really horrendous um, prison uh, that was run by the gangs, that was rife with drugs and, you know, everything <laughs> everything that, you know, you wouldn't want in a prison system. Um, and he, they basically changed it over that 10 years where they, were, they ended up running classes, they were rehabilitating other prisoners, getting them off drugs, teaching them English, getting um, people, in, you know, into study. Uh, he started running a church inside the prison. Um, and it's this incredible story of transformation where, Basically, he was like a godfather on the outside in the drug world, and then he becomes like a good father uh, over time in this prison where he completely changes things. And so then it gets to this point where, you know, people start to see this transformation that they've had, and you think, well, the, the goal of all prison systems is to rehabilitate people. Um, and eventually you'd seen that these guys were truly rehabilitated, but for reasons beyond their control with politics and what have you, um, the, 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 the um, president at the time um, reinstated, uh, there had been a moratorium on the death penalty, but he reinstated it, and then these guys were looking at having their life sentence um, uh, carried out, and they had one sort of appeal to you know to the to the president for clemency. I mean, they weren't asking to be released, but they were asking to have a life sentence. And in Indonesia, a life sentence means life; you never get out. So they just wanted to have more time to actually help the people that they'd been helping. Um, so there was a big build-up. Um, people started to hear about this story and thinking, "Well, is this right? Should we be killing these people who have actually?" you know, done what all prison systems aim to do is rehabilitate people. And so that's where this tension comes in. Of, and there were a lot of people that started to advocate on their behalf from um, celebrities to politicians that went, that went all the way around the world. 
Um, Rich, so Richard Branson was asking for the clemency. Axel Rose from Guns N' Roses. Um, uh, Ban Ki-moon, the, the UN um, Secretary General. Um, so there was all this, this effort put in to try and you know, get this death penalty commuted. Um, and then, obviously, um, it, it, was, it was eventually carried out. Um, yeah. But the story really is that Andrew, even though he never found physical freedom, he actually found an internal freedom, uh, which he spoke about a lot. Um, and it took him that whole time to kind of, you know, to realize that. So one of the things that had stayed with me the most about the story is that Andrew had opportunities to escape, but he chose not to take them. Yeah, so the, the, the prison system there, um, they became, they, get, they had a lot of trust by the end. They, they you know, they literally, Mayu, who was who was also one of the one of the prisoners like he had like the set of keys so so they were, they were so trusted in the prison that they could have left at any time but if they had left it would have obviously made the prison look bad and then there would have been a crackdown on the prisoners that remained um and they just felt like that that was their calling they had work there they had you know they were keeping some prisoners alive getting med- medication into the prison um they had a whole you know people that they were responsible to so there were a number of occasions where they could have escaped, but for Andrew, it just wasn't really an option because he had become a sort of a pastor to all these people. Yeah. I talked to Joe a couple months ago, and he, we were talking about this actually before we were recording, and he said that one of the kids like grew up at Hillsong. Uh, I, I don't remember who that was. So, yeah. Well, one of the, one of the Bali Nine, uh, Matthew Norman, was a local to the Hillsong Hills campus church in Sydney, uh, and he had gone to a few of the youth uh, nights that had, that had happened there over time. Gotcha. So, Ben, uh, when did you first hear about the story? Was it when it became like this ubiquitous story all across the media in Australia? Yeah, I think so. I think the, the final 12 months were pretty crucial in the media. Um, that's definitely when I think most of the world's attention um, started focusing uh, on the story. Uh, particularly in Australia, because there was a lot of tensions between governments at that point, uh, where the Australian consulate was uh, trying to also plead on behalf of the um, Australian government as well to um, push through for clemency or to come to some sort of an arrangement to help. Um, but you know, the the most probably impacting time was I'd just come back from a a trip in Los Angeles, and uh, it was my wife's and my anniversary and we're staying in Sydney and like hotels do in the mornings, they kind of slip a newspaper under your door or at your door. And I remember picking it up and it was the the day that their bodies, uh, Andrew and Mayu's bodies had arrived back in Sydney. And the first couple of pages was a full spread of photos and tributes and everything like that. And I just remember seeing the letters and the wording of Andrew's faith being in big, bold letters, and this is a a national secular newspaper. And it struck me at that point that, um, yes, the story was about um, being caught with drugs um, and being executed uh, because of the crime that they paid, but equally as told was this faith story, this story of Andrew finding this inner freedom. Um, And that really stood out to me because it was unusual, unusual to watch or read uh, parts of the newspaper where they would bring that to the forefront as a main part of his story. So it was kind of moments like that where um, it stood out. And then over over a period of time, um, we had the opportunity to meet with Andrew's family. Um, mm-hmm. And that really just kicked it off. And it all kind of, once we found out a bit more information of 
what wasn't reported in the media at the time and some of the stories uh, behind those media articles. Um, it was one of those stories that you think is very rare um, and it's a story that needs to be told. I mean, I had no sympathy for them when I first heard the story. So, like, in 2005, I remember it, you know, nine Australians caught yeah. in Indonesia with drugs, and I thought, oh, you guys are idiots, and you deserve what you get. And so I didn't pay it in much attention uh, until it was that last, you know, that last year or the last six or eight months where I started to learn about who these guys were and the transformation that had happened. And then I started to think, well, is this fair? I mean, do people deserve a second chance? Do we believe that or not? Um, and what what um, what benefit would killing these guys actually do? Um, so for me, yeah, it was like it was in that last kind of build up, and it was it was you know like as you started to follow the story because it was like oh they might are they gonna they might get their sentence commuted on it was like an on again off again thing, and you started to just feel the anguish of the families of it was like they were it was just like this this hope was sort of being teased, but um, you didn't know if it was ever going to happen. Um, so yeah, so like for many people, I mean, you know, people who break, break the law, well, you know, there are consequences to that. Um, but it's when you start to realize the humanity of who these people are beyond the headlines and that kind of changes things a little, Yeah, becomes more gray. It kind of reminds me of the, um, uh, the story. I don't know if you guys saw this, but the, uh, the American college kid who was over North Korea gets released two or three days ago and he's... I think he passed away today. Um, there's a part of some people going, like, you went to North Korea and you did some stupid stuff. I mean, of, of course terrible things are going to happen to you. Um, and you want to be really callous because of that. And I think even more so, I mean, that kid, like, stole a, a banner or something. That's not a, a grievous crime. But as a drug dealer, that's not really a um, heartwarming story. But the the story about this guy's transformation, I, one of the things I, th- I think you told me is that the uh, the time of his death, uh, when the uh, the firing squad was doing their thing, uh, he actually was singing like 10,000 Reasons or some sort of like Christian worship song. Is that right? Yeah. So what had happened is they'd had a, a, a previous round of executions uh, a couple of months before, and it had gone terribly wrong. Uh, basically, the, the prisoners all sort of fought for their lives, and it was just a bit of a debacle. Um, so Andrew kind of... Uh, knew that he wanted to, if they were going to, if this was going to happen, they wanted to do it with dignity, and so he organised them over that last seven weeks when they're on the execution island. Uh, you know, they they practiced songs. I mean, he Andrew was a he, you know, led the singing in the in the prison uh, in Karabakan where he was for ten years, uh, and he just wanted them all to like if this was going to happen to do it with dignity. So they refused blindfolds. Um, and actually, they had such a, an effect. Because usually, what happens when you're on this execution island, you're only there for three days usually, so you can't form any relationships. They sort of whip, they break you down basically. But they were there for seven weeks because the execution kept getting delayed and delayed. And he even had such an impact on this execution island, where as they were being let out, the guards were hugging them, and there were, the guards were in tears and were asking for their forgiveness um, as they were let out. And they, you know, they sang Ten Thousand Reasons. They sang Amazing Grace. Um, and looked at their ex- executioners um, and uh, in the eye as you know, and they sort of were halfway through the song when the when the shots rang out. Hmm. Paul, when you first telling me this story, my thought as an American was the churches were vocally against the death penalty. Um, 
where, where you are in the States, the churches are typically conservative on death penalty, which means they're supportive of it. Uh, and it surprised me for you to tell me that the majority of the Christian world is actually against the death penalty. How are you thinking about, do you think about this story being obviously told mostly to Australians and people who are outside the States who therefore are not going to find that as politically de- like uh, divisive? Um, well, it's not to say the story won't be controversial, um, but it's a story for everyone. It's a story about redemption, and it's a story about um, can people change. Um, and, you know, the, the key with this story is that the guys weren't shirking responsibility for what they did. Uh, they, they admitted what they did, and they were asking for life imprisonment, and it's not a particularly, you know, pleasant, you know, jail in Indonesia. Um, so the really the question is is you know Christians are always about pro life, um, or well, are we does that you know we're pro life, you know at the beginning of 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 life are we also pro life at the end of it, um, and it's just a question that we pose the question and I don't have really easy answers for it because it's it's complicated but um, I think it's a question worth considering. Um, do can people change, um, and and if they can, what should we do about that? Um, and so, yeah, you will definitely, you know, there'll be issues to do with the death penalty and is it effective? And you can look at lots of research into whether the death penalty is a, is a good deterrent or not. Um, so, yeah, it'll be an open question that we'll definitely explore in the film. It, it doesn't seem like there, it doesn't seem like this story is as much about the death penalty as it is about transformation. Because even if you were... Uh, a person who's convinced that the death penalty is something that the justice system needs to enforce. No one's saying that a a drug dealer is someone who needs to get the death penalty. Even in the States, like we don't, we don't think that that punishment fits that crime. Well, in Indonesia, it's particularly um, uh, interesting because uh, drug dealers get the death penalty, but murderers get very quite uh, light sentences. Um, so it's just a quirk of the of the Indonesian system, mm-hmm. and you've got to respect that. They're a sovereign nation, and they can make up their own laws. Uh, but in, in in this case, you know, Andrew and Myeran were serving um, with convicted murderers who were, you know, not rehabilitated and were getting out of jail. And then they had yeah. rehabilitated, had done a you know a crime that does affect lots of people. It was obviously you know drugs on the street, people have overdoses. There are consequences to you know the drug trade. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is interesting that in that in their system, drug dealers are seen as uh, worse than murderers. Interesting, Ben. I'm assuming you've had your hand in some projects like this before. Have you made a feature before? I was involved in the uh, Hillsong Let Hope Rise uh, movie, which was released uh, tail end of last year. Uh, oh, which, yeah. Which was, I watched that, by the way. Oh, good. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you for your support. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure my my two tickets that I purchased paid for uh, some of this fancy uh, microphone equipment that you have, so <laughs> you're probably welcome. Did. Probably paid for my lunch one day on set. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm here to help, Ben. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> Actually, the reason I watched is Paul said, hey, go watch this movie this weekend. I don't know what you think. So you can thank Paul That's for good. Yeah, well, those... Paul also had a little hand in it too. He was a part of the early draft uh, viewing session. So, Okay, well, the, uh, the Hillsong movie, I don't think that there was the tension to make sure that you got um, someone's life story correct. Uh, I mean, you guys told the, the story of people in that movie, and you did a good job. But there wasn't the, the, uh, the fear that you were going to 
mess up the legacy of someone. I know that the people, uh, the family somehow connected in the writing process for the, for this film. How do you feel about carrying that pressure? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think, you know, if we weren't on the same page of what we were trying to do as the family and those involved, we probably wouldn't be a part of it. Um, The family have lived through a difficult 10 or now 12 years. Uh, And to be honest, when we sat down and spoke with them and shared our heart and vision for the film that we wanted to tell, um, they were on board straight away. There's a garbage truck outside, if that's what you're gesturing at. Oh, okay. I, I thought you guys were about to be to, deported or something. We can just pause if you like. Do you want to pause? I, I, no, I thought Trump found out where you guys were. Yeah, it's the Black Hawk. <laughs> the Black Hawk helicopters. They've come for me. I've got to get yeah, out of here. I, I figured it was only a matter of time. Uh, uh, yeah, okay. So, obviously, the family had to be a, a part of the story. And I, I don't know if there's like an exclusive ride or something they've signed with you guys to tell the story. So, they're, they're on board with this. Yeah, they're on board, and we wouldn't have it any other way, to be honest, because, I mean, this story is so big um, already as it is, and we needed access from the family um, to be able to tell the stories we want to tell. Um, so much of this story will delve into the years prior to arrest as well, um, as Andrew reflects on his life from prison. Um, but, you know, at, at the same time, Andrew's life um, is... The way that Andrew's life was lived and ended deserves to be told in its truest form and the family um, are giving us access to all of those points and so uh, we feel like we're going to be able to bring across a very authentic film Mm. and a film that the family and to be honest they've been great because they've not just sheltered the the bad and we're just wanting to to make sure the good comes out they've um, kind of put everything on the table and said this is who Andrew was Um, and if any parts of these stories help Go for it. Yeah, I yep. mean, and that, I think that's what was also really compelling about Andrew's story is that he wasn't an angel, uh, and even his transformation wasn't just sort of one linear kind of journey. It was one step forward, two steps back, and you know, for me, it's it's really human because that's that's what I experience in my own journey as well. And um, you know, and I think and we've been given access to really great source material like his journals and the last weeks of his life. Uh, you know, and that's really, you know, I mean, how often do you ever get to read the thoughts of a condemned person? You know, like yeah. it's harrowing, what, you know, what goes through your mind. And, and particularly, you know, he was a believer and he had this sort of faith and this hope, yet he had this, um, you know, crazy uh, sentence hanging over his head and a really grotesque way, way to go as well. What, what was some of the stuff that uh, you found in the journal? Uh, well, you'll have to watch the film. Uh, oh, come on. <laughs> We're saying that's our trailer, but everyone's going to ask that question. We're yeah, just going to be yeah, the film. yeah. Have to you know have to pay pay a ticket price to get that information. I paid for the Hillsong movie. I feel like I should yeah. pay it for, man. <laughs> Give it well, back. A lot of the things in his journal were you know reflective of what was happening at the time, but um, he also took a lot of time to write to his younger self mm. um, prior to being caught, and almost as a as a kind of a an effort to warn the younger self of the decisions that you make in life. Uh, but he also was was writing and praying about time standing still because mm. at, towards the end um, he had built up such a network of helping people that he knew when that once all that was over, who was going to carry on um, looking after the other prisoners. And so he would often write 
um, and pray about time standing still. You know, it's that just one more day. Yeah. If I could just have more time, you know, I can do so much. It sort of reminded me of the Desmond Doss character in Hacksaw Ridge. You know, it's the famous line in the film yeah, where it's like, just, just give more. me well with one more. And Andrew was very, seemed very much the same. He'd be, he'd, he obviously started life super selfish, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, as a drug smuggler. I mean, how, you, how much more selfish can you get? And then his last moments was thinking about others and he became complete, complete really selfless. And that was that idea of the sun standing still so that I can just influence one more, that I can just help one more. Um, and, you know, that's, I mean, I'm, it's, it's, you know, inspiring to kind of hear his story um, and to see that someone could have got to a place like that. I mean, I aspire to get to that place at some point in my yeah. life, but I know I'm not there. Um, yeah. So to see a guy who's condemned and, you know, facing the death penalty to have gotten there is, yeah, quite, it's quite fascinating. So are you guys going to use time standing still as some sort of catchphrase, subtitle, <laughs> title of the movie? Like I, I, you keep saying, like, I feel like that's... It's the never-ending film, Time Stand Still. You go into the theater and then just, like, you never leave. <laughs> or it's the 10-year journey in real time. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, okay. Now, Ben, I don't know if Paul talked to you about this, but I've made some notes, some suggestions for the movie... Um, this might be a good time for me to directly pitch them to you. Sure, go for it. Well, I know originally um, we were thinking about creating a... I'm going to say we because I feel like I'm part of this now. Um, we were thinking about creating a composite character who would kind of help carry the story along. And maybe we could a- attach ourselves to like some big name movie star from Down Under who might be just finishing up the, the last Wolverine movie. Um, and... I thought it would be pretty neat if you could have this kind of like a spinoff where the composite character would actually be Logan and like just one of his blades would shoot out and unlock a door. And so he could escape if he wanted to. And that way he probably could get a lunchbox deal or something like that. Have you, what does that sound like? Do you think it's promising? <laughs> I feel like he's I'm feverishly a, writing notes. Yeah. He's writing notes about this. I feel like okay. I'm in Hollywood at a, at a desperate pitch meeting for somebody <laughs> that's trying to make a way. Uh, okay. It's very interesting. Look, we'll, uh, we'll consider what you've brought to the table and we'll get back okay. to you. Our people while, will contact your people. While you got your pen out, I've got another one. Oh, okay. good. Okay. All right. I think you've always got to have at least two. Three's good, but you've got two, so that's good. Yeah, I, we're just going to start with two right now. I heard that there was an American soldier who was imprisoned as well for like getting marijuana, like illegally buying marijuana. So I guess marijuana yeah. is probably illegal. Is that true? Is that in there? It's yeah. true. Yes. Okay. I think that's kind of played out. Like no one wants to see an American soldier in prison. Um, but you know what they would probably be interested in is an American podcaster who's in prison. <laughs> and I'm just saying, I have some experience as a podcaster. I'm very much American. Um, if if you want to think about that, just yeah, I'm put it in the back it. burner. I'm, I'm kind of seeing like Good Morning Vietnam, you know, the Robin Williams thing. <laughs> I'm seeing you in, inside the prison with your microphone. Every morning. Good morning, Kamerica! Exactly. That, I didn't even think it would be that big of a role. I was thinking more like, hey, these just like one line or two. But like it would be every morning I would wake up and go, get ready for some awesome you know, that would be <laughs> for some Yeah, I think you're onto something there, Luke. Okay. Um, now, the composite character turned out that you guys literally were working on turned out to be a real character. Or, can I say this, Paul? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Uh, so you're writing the story, trying to find uh, kind of a, a major lead role for, for someone. And then turns out this person actually is there. 
the story, like as a preacher, which you write very tiny little stories each week for 30 minutes, and all of a sudden something very fortuitous like that happens and you go, oh, here's my sermon right here. It it seems like that's like one of those epiphany moments that just changes the entire structure of the story. Is that fair? Yeah, it did. Because we we were always thinking with this film, you know, it's it's you know, you're in a prison for ten years, so it can be very claustrophobic. So how do we sort of get out of the prison? How do we tell the bigger, wider story? So we sort of thought about having a fictional journalist character who would be the one that would get in and out. And anyway, so we did write this character, and um, and and it was going okay. And but there were things that weren't. It's hard when you've got a true story and you try to. Uh, introduce some fictitious elements it, it's a difficult kind of um, balancing act and it just quite wasn't quite working and then as we were talking to the family about you know the troubles we're having with this character they said oh that sounds like cindy and we go who's cindy and she goes oh cindy was this journalist who was there for the whole 10 years yeah, who started yeah. who started out completely skeptical and wrote you know sort of scathing articles about the boys and by the end had become an advocate and we're like wow, why didn't you tell us this a year ago? <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we found this this true story um, of this journalist character who was in and out um, and, and witnessed the transformation um, of the guys. And um, so, yeah, so that, that, was a, that was a pretty pivotal moment in writing the script, for sure. And in fact, her, her story was so much better. Yeah. Uh, the, the true part of her story was so much better than the fictional character that we tried to make up. Okay, so um, Ben, I I've known Paul for a few years, and I've never known him to tell any story that's like positive or happy. <laughs> is there any way that you can make his next project to be like happy? Because this is probably the most upbeat story that he's ever told, and it ends with someone being shot. Um, <laughs> what do we need to do to make actually a positive story come out of the world of Nevison? Well, I, I guess we've got to change the lenses in which he looks at the world, maybe, <laughs> to, to begin with. Yeah. No, I think, I think. I mean, to be honest, I'm, I'm very much like Paul, too. I think I gravitate towards the darker side of life. He's, got, um, he's, an, he's another Enneagram 4, Luke, so you're, you're I screwed. figured that, yeah. <laughs> uh, but okay, well, funnily enough, the documentary that we're currently in Los Angeles about to go to Phoenix to shoot is another dark, twisted story, you know, to do with cartels and police. So I think we're very much on the same page when it comes to the stories we love to, to cherry pick and do. Yeah, I've, I, I've, uh, that's, that's very fitting. I'm just an empath- empathetic now, person, Luke. I just, I identify with the suffering of the world. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, you do. Or you you're just a seven, you just like candy floss over the, <laughs> over the top of it. <laughs> candy floss. Ben, do you know anything about the Enneagram? Have you ever heard of it? No. Okay. Well, you need to. We'll it's we'll like talk about it afterwards. Profile. Oh, right. um, gotcha. He's a seven, yeah, which so means basically he avoids all pain and anything. That's, <laughs> like it's just fun, fun, fun for old Lukey boy. Yeah. That's the that's the and, key attributes to a great podcaster. <laughs> exactly. I've just been reading up on and, it since I started my new podcast, which will be available later <laughs> on, on iTunes and all good download <laughs> places. Yeah, that's good. Um, now, you guys obviously are a pair of fours, which means everything's just the end of the world and you're kind of just always negative and sad. <laughs> um, that's, uh, that's basically it. And so that's why fours need to have sevens in their life. That's I'm, I'm here to prevent you from that is true. overdosing on Prozac. Well, we, we look for the sevens within the fours. That's, I would say that's our job. We don't live in the fours. We try and find mm. the sevens or the eights within the fours. Yeah. yeah. 
going from doing okay, Ben, going from doing the the Hillsong movie to this kind of project, um, what's the biggest challenge for you? What's the biggest difference? Oh gosh, well, I mean, the Hillsong movie. You know, my my role in it really was to produce it from the point of view of. Uh, the church, you know, the Hillsong movie was set up where two Hollywood producers came to us um, and were fascinated about the the rise of Hillsong United, uh, the biggest band that no one ever heard of was the slogan that they put down, even though tens of millions of people have heard of them. But um, I kind of rode shotgun on that a little bit more and I got to see the ins and outs of how you put all these things together. This one's a little different in the fact that it's uh, Paul and I are venturing out on this together um, but also the genre is not a music documentary. Um, we're straight in the, the drama space for this. Uh, now, drama is in my blood. Um, I grew up and was taught drama through network television. But there's this project in particular has a, has a lot of layers of complexity, uh, real-life characters uh, that are alive today depicting those, um, telling a story where uh, there is still, um, you know, a few from the Bali Nine that are still behind bars and are still in appeal phases for their sentences. So I think the challenge is um, it's legal. Um, the challenge is also, you know, raising the the right kind of funds, attaching the right director um, to get the right cast. I mean, a film like this is an Australian film set in Indonesia and Australia. Um, and although towards the end the world um, were probably tweeted at or, you know, New York Times would send through articles to know about it. Not many people, I would say, in the US um, can remember it by name. Um, and so, you know, that presents some challenges. But I think, you know, the core of it, this this film is a, is a heartwarming story of someone overcoming. Um, and I think that relates to people today. Um, there's many themes and threads throughout the story which many people universally will be able to, um, to identify with. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. When Paul first pitched me the story a couple of years ago, I, I thought this is a great story that needs to get out. And as maybe an ignorant Texan, I didn't really understand what was going on on the global sphere in terms of the attention the story had elicited, but I, I see why. And I love the idea of this is a guy who wants change. And I like the idea that he doesn't leave when he has the opportunity to, and his concern is for other people, not himself. Even yeah. his petition for, it's not really for leniency. It's just for life in prison. It's not like he's trying to get out of prison at all. That's, it, it, he's just a really compelling character to me. And I look forward to seeing what you guys do with it. Yeah. Have, uh, we, we can't talk about anyone that's attached to the movie yet. Do we have anyone that? Not yet. Not yet, to say? we can't, no. You'll have to wait another little while, Luke. <laughs> okay, fine. Forgive me for asking questions that the people want to know. Sorry, I'm trying to help get the word out on this movie to, into the United States and beyond. Um, all right, Paul, what else do we need to say about this movie? Um, what do we should say about this movie? Um, okay, why are you thinking about that? Ben, let me say one thing to you. Yeah. Um, so Paul told me to go watch the, uh, the Hillsong movie. Um, and I said, sure, but there's one, one requirement. I don't know if you remember this, Paul, but I said, I can only go watch the movie if Taya, is that her name? Am I saying it right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I said, as long as she doesn't come across like a terrible person, I watch the movie because I can't let her be a bad person in my world 
Otherwise, there's so many songs that I really like that I won't be able to listen to. <laughs> so I, I don't want you to say that she is or isn't. I'm just saying thank you for making sure the movie doesn't cast her as a terrible person because oh, it would have well, really been destructive for yeah. my spiritual well-being. Well, it wasn't a hard job because Taya is uh, probably the most down-to-earth, sweetest person I've She's ever met. like an angel, really. Yeah, she really is. Well, that sounds very believable, and I appreciate you guys going along with me on that. So thank you. Um, okay, so this movie is going to come out. Uh, t- tell me how the, the process works. You guys, uh, what, pr- what part of the process are you right now? Finishing the script, is that right? Yeah, hang on one sec. Just... All right, this, the phone was about to run out. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, yeah, we're, uh, we're currently on the third draft of the screenplay. And um, we probably don't need to go much further than that. It's it's already shaping up uh, quite well. And then uh, we're going to start our attachment process. Um, and then Your what process? The attachment process. So directors. Attachment. Key, yeah, key cast, directors, um, you know, all the elements you need to start getting it moving. But once that process starts, um, depending on availability, that can track quite quickly. So um, we're just... Counting our time, making sure the story's right, um, getting the right revisions in before we, we start going and it's too late. Yeah. Well, like I said, if, if uh, the process goes pretty fast and you need that American podcaster, <laughs> as long as you're not filming on a Sunday, I have some flexibility and I can... All right, good. You, usually I take Fridays off, so that would be ideal for me, but if not, let me know and I can take a day off from work, I think. Well, a funny story about that American soldier, so... He came into the prison and he was, I think he got like a year sentence or something. Andrew ended up taking him under his wing and just kind of looking after him while he was in prison. And anyway, the, um, he, he ended up calling the guy's mother, who I think he was from Texas actually, um, and rang, mm. the, rang, <laughs> rang the guy's, the soldier's mother. And uh, it was basically, they had this conversation and Andrew, like he was a bit of a larrikin, right? And he says, oh, don't worry about what? your son, a larrikin. So, you know, like a, a joker. A joke, okay. Yeah, yeah, he was, you know, big personality. Anyway, he says to the mother, don't worry about your son. I'm going to take care of him. And then just kind of left it hanging, and she's like, what? <laughs> What's going to happen to my son? You know? <laughs> um, but in the end, actually, even that, his mother became quite an advocate for, um, for Andrew as well once, really? once, yeah, towards the end, because he had really, he really looked after her son and kind of made sure he was okay. So a lady in Texas was an advocate for this guy. Yeah, I think she was from Texas. I'm pretty sure. I'd have to check that, but it's, yeah. So there you go. I've, I kind of feel like you should have led with that, and that's the uh, most compelling part of the story so far, <laughs> that you have a, a, a Texan behind this. A Texan, yeah. That's, that's all, yeah you've got, like, these blinkers. Texas, Texas mum. I think that's the title now, Texas mum. <laughs> oh, here it is. Here it is. It's kind of like the blind side. Instead of Sandra Bullock, you just get a good... This is what you... Guys. Wow. Ben, pen and paper. Get it out. You ready? No, I'm writing it down. Hang on a second. Okay. Tammy Taylor, who was in Friday Night Light. She was Coach Taylor's wife. She should be the mom who finds out and get rid of the reporter. Make her the lead character, a good old Texas woman who goes over there and tries to advocate to get him out. Perfect. And And then when it doesn't happen, her husband comes over with two revolvers... And takes matters into his own hands. With a helicopter and break, bust them out. Yeah. My goodness. I'm, I'm so glad we're all working on this together. I think you just made this. <laughs> we really just had a great turn in this story. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, if this pastoring thing doesn't work out for you, Luke, I think there's a future for you in other fields. 
Well, you know, a lot of people thought I was going to be stand-up, and I haven't really been doing a lot of that anymore, so I feel like this might be the next, uh, the next logical progression. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Who doesn't um, need some Luke Norsworthy awesome? Exactly. Ben, you've been a good sport. Thank you for participating in this. Thank you. Uh, and thanks for taking care of Paul. I appreciate it. Anything you can do to try to liven his life up and give him a little positivity, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> All right, friends, hope you enjoyed that. Uh, Don't forget to check out our sponsor, Podbean, for all your podcast hosting or publishing needs. Podbean is the company that will take good care of you, like they've taken good care of me. And don't forget their mobile app to get you hosting a podcast directly from your phone. All the guesswork is taken out. Super easy. Go check them out. for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. We'll see you back here next time.